Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode where I am reading Neville Goddard's lecture from 1964 titled He Has Put Eternity into the Mind of Man. Neville tells his audience tonight's thought is taken from the book of Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, 11th verse. This is considered the most disputed verse in the book. A man refuses to accept it because it doesn't make sense and man is a rational being. But those who wrote the Bible, or took it down, I should say, were not writing rational thoughts. They were inspired and they were writing their vision. This entire book does injury to man's rational side, for to him everything is vanity. <clears throat> vanity of vanities, all is vanity. No one knows who Quahaleth is, but he hints at it, <clears throat> and bear in mind this is a mystery, so the book opens with a certain claim. The words of Quahaleth, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. The last chapter invites us all to leave everything and follow just the collected works of one shepherd, for the Bible tells us who that shepherd is. He is telling you who he is when he tells you, son of David. But it's a mystery, for in the scriptures there is no son of David, whose name is Quahaleth. So in spite of certain scholars who try to say Solomon, there is no Solomon hinted in it. But the verse that we are taking tonight, we have to go all over the Bible to support it. It is, God has made everything beautiful in its time. That is denied by our reason, a child comes in deformed, mentally retarded, injured, and here... God has made everything beautiful in its time. May I tell you, it's a true story. It's right in its time. Now we'll go on. God has put eternity into, the, into man's mind, yet so that man cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. He's put eternity into man's mind. While again, man claims it can't be done. To understand what he means by eternity, we must understand the meaning of the word olem. For that's the word. Its interpretation can only be given if we know the real meaning of the word olem. He passed the cemetery, Beth olem. The same word olem and Beth means a home, a house, one's eternal home. When one goes through that cemetery, but he doesn't mean that, the cemetery is earth. This world here is a cemetery called Beth Olam. He enters eternity here, that is, in his mind. Everything here is in his imagination. Everything. To understand it, you must go back to the Hebraic mind who wrote it, who took it down. In Hebrew, in Hebrew, though history consists of all the generations, or I'm sorry, in Hebrew thought, History consists of all the generations of men and their experiences fused into a whole. This concentrated time in which all the generations of man are fused and from which all things come is called eternity. Just think of it, a complete compression of every conceivable thing that man could ever do, all in just one compressed section of time. The Old Testament is that block. Every frightening thing in the world is openly described in the Bible, there isn't a crime that you read about in the daily press, not a war, that isn't openly described in the Bible. Talk about rubbing out a whole race, that's described in the Bible. A whole country, that's described in the Bible. 
until Blake made the statement, Eternity exists and all things in eternity independent of creation, which was an act of mercy. So here in man's mind are all the things that it takes for man to be anything in the world that he wants to be. Now he tells us there is nothing new under the sun. He makes the statement, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in ages past, but there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things to come later among those who will come after. No remembrance whatsoever. Now he paints a word picture of what he himself has accomplished, great wealth. He amassed great wealth through his own toil, and he knows he will die and leave it to one who did not toil for it. He says, that is vanity of vanity. He built great buildings, and he knows that they will crumble to go into the hands of one who did not toil. He sought out wisdom and became the wisest of men, but the end was like the foot. Both turned to dust. He mentions all these things and then concludes it's all vanity. Now bear in mind the New Testament interprets the old. It's not the other way around. These were inspired men. As we are told, no prophecy of scripture ever came <coughs> excuse me, by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So they aren't his words. He's recorded them. He's not trying to set up some workable philosophy for life. He has simply recorded it on a level where, his, where this block exists, all in the mind of man. Now let me define for you the word olem. It does not mean eternity. If you remember what I've said concerning the Hebrew's mind and what history means to it, it contains all the generations of men and all their experiences. And that is called eternity. But the word is also translated the world. It's translated something hidden, something concealed, something out of sight, a secret, a youth, a lad, a stripling, a young man. These are all definitions of the word olem, or of the word olem. They're all right. Everyone can be used in that statement. He did put eternity into the mind of man. As we quoted last Thursday, a passage from the strange magazine. Only the imagination of man is vast enough to contain the immensity of space. Only the imagination of man is vast enough to contain eternity and all that you could ever, all these combinations, bring out and be anything that you want in this world. Yet he speaks of recurrence. And you might think that it's going to be a peculiar, monotonous recurrence. No, he means everything taking place took place and is going to take place because you draw it out of this one block of eternity. But everything is in it, and you call the combinations and play them, but the end, as he sees it, is vanity. What are we waiting for? He's asking. We're waiting for something because here is complete recurrence. No matter how rich you are, you leave it behind to one who didn't toil for it. No matter how wise you are, you leave it behind to join the fool in the same grave. And you join all the weak people, if you're strong, all in the same grave. 
that all seemed so vain and so fruitless. So we must be waiting for something, and that was concealed. For the word olem means something hidden. What was hidden that he couldn't see? What was hidden from the prophets? Well, now listen to the words. The prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired about the salvation. They inquired what person or time was indicated by the Spirit of Christ. Within them, within them went predicting the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. All these characters of the Old Testament were all in you. They were serving not themselves. They were serving you when the fullness of time arrived. No one knew when, he, when so he asked what person or time was indicated by the Spirit of Christ within them when prophesying this state. Well, when the fullness of time had come, only when it came could it be revealed that which was hidden in the mind of man. Now here is what is hidden. Think of Jesus Christ as the personification of God. Just think of him, that on his face you see the glory of God. So when you are told in Scripture, God said, Let us make man think of Elohim, the gods, and together they form one who personifies all, that's Christ Jesus. Think of that now. Now think of humanity. God's love and one personifies humanity, and that is David. When you see humanity, God's love, God's beloved, he's in love with mankind, with humanity. It's personified as a single youth, for eternity is youth. It's not an old man with a Sith. So when you meet eternity personified, you see David. When you meet God personified, you see him reflected in the face of Jesus Christ. So think of these two. So the one now speaking, the son of David, why the son of David? When in the New Testament, he tells you that David calls you father. We'll come to that. Yet he claims in this that he is the son of David, son of humanity. He is buried in man and humanity, therefore he has to come forth from humanity and cannot deny he is the son of man. But son of man that comes forth, we're told, shall be the son of God. The words are, are, I will raise up from you humanity when you sleep with your fathers. I will bring forth from you a son. He shall be my son and I his father. Second Samuel 7.12 So here he's bringing forth from humanity, which is David, a son. But the son that comes forth is going to produce the reversal of order that you find through scripture. For man matures when he becomes his own father's father. So who comes forth from David? Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 He cannot emerge from me were he not now in me. Christ could not come forth from you were he not now in you. For you're told he's son of David. Not a little boy called David that personifies humanity. When you meet David, you're seeing the personification of the whole vast history that you have gone through, which is humanity. You are then his father when you meet him. Now listen to the words as given us in the book of Samuel. And three words are used in three verses, one after the other. And each word is olam, translated differently. But first a promise is made that man who conquers the enemy of Israel will be set free. The father will be set free. 
So here comes the man who has conquered the enemy of Israel, the giant Goliath. The king said to his lieutenant, Abner, Abner, whose son is that youth? And Abner replied, As your soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. He said, Inquire whose son the stripling is. No one knows. So he is brought before the king with the head in his hands of the giant, and he said, Whose son are you, young man? And he replied, I am the, ser the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And now the king's order must be given and the promise fulfilled. The father must be set free. He confesses who his father is. His father, he tells you, is Jesse. Jesse means I am. That's all that it means. The word Jesse is in any form of the verb to be I am. 1 Samuel 17.56 The day will come you will know why it is true God put eternity in the mind of man and man can't find it. He has put eternity in such a way that man can't find out what God has done from the beginning until the end. In the end, you will, for as the end comes, there's going to be explosion after explosion in that wonderful head of yours. And the thing that was hidden in the beginning will come forward to confront you. Everyone will confront you. An entirely different drama begins to unfold within you, and the end of this world is at end for you. The world remains. People think the world is coming to an end. It comes to an end for the individual. It doesn't come to an end for a group of people. Like coming to the end of this world, burning it up. No, your world will come to an end when the final drama begins to unfold within you. So it was not given to the prophets to know. The prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be ours. Grace is an unmerited gift, an unmerited good. In other words, it is God's gift of himself to you. You can't earn it. So they heard of this grace, for grace is mentioned in the Old Testament too. You read it in Zechariah, in fact, all through the Bible. But in Zechariah, they were about to put on the very top of the stone of the temple, the fourth chapter, seventh verse of Zechariah. And they do it amidst shouts of grace, grace to it. So the temple cannot be finished until Christ is brought forth from humanity. He comes forth singly, one after the other, the same Christ, and he only knows he is Christ when David appears to the individual from whom he comes. And David calls that individual father. For in the Bible, David calls him Adonai, which means my father, my Lord, my God, the rock of my salvation. So David comes out and he is youth. One of the definitions of Olam is eternal youth. And when you see him, he is an eternal youth. He is he is an eternally young, beautiful, handsome fellow. It's David, a single man. One night you're going to have this wonderful joy. You will see David in this distance, this radiant being, and when you approach, he is a multitude of nations. And then you know he summarizes and personifies humanity. You will see Jesus Christ and you will know he personifies the gods, the Elohim, all of us. Therefore, who are you when he personifies all? We are the Elohim who fell asleep for a purpose. We emptied ourselves of our primal form and took upon ourselves the limitation of this that was hidden in the mind of man. In our eternal sleep, having passed through this eternal death to awaken to eternal life, expand or expanded beyond what we were, when we emptied ourselves of the eternal form. 
and then took upon ourselves the limitation of the human form. He is not concerned with John Brown, Neville Goddard. These are parts of the eternal structure of this time block. They are all parts of it, the whole vast world. Have you ever had the experience of looking up and seeing on your mind's eye, on the screen of your on the screen of your face inwardly, the block? There isn't a thing you can think of that isn't there, and it comes out. It actually comes out and takes on a three-dimensional quality. You might be lost in it if you don't know what you're doing. You can become completely lost, like an insane person. But if you don't know what you're doing, you are in control of all as to bring them out of this concentrated block. And everyone mentioned in scripture is in that block. And you can bring them out in different combinations, different relationships, different, well, father-son relationships, man-wife relationships, any relationship. All the enemies in the world you can bring out. If you don't know what you are doing, it will scare you to death. Because they become alive the minute you detach them from the block. They take on a three-dimensional reality and become alive, and then they start. But if you know what you're doing, then you know these words, also from the Quaheleth in the fourth chapter, 15th verse. I have seen all the living that move about under the sun, as well as that second youth, who is going to stand in his place. There was no end to the people, and he was all over them. Yet those who will come after will not rejoice in him. This too is vanity and a chasing of the wind. Ecclesiastes. Now this is what I mean. He is all over us. Take the block and fragment it, as we are fragmented now. This is the fragmented block. And he is overall animating all. The day will come you will have the experience and taste of the power of the age to come. You will take a section of that animated block and stop it, and it can't be moved. Men can't move, birds can't fly, leaves can't fall. Everything is frozen as though made of marble. And then you will release it from within you, within you and it will move and continue to fulfill its purpose. After that, the faith you had before, which you would argue to support you now, have that faith. Or you know now that faith is not justified through an argument, but only through an experience. Now you know, you know what it means to have life in yourself. For the purpose of it all, when the time is fulfilled and then you come forward from this block, you have now life in yourself. Until then, you thought you had life in yourself, and your friends died and you buried them. You knew the day would come that you would die and they would bury you. You thought we were living beings independent of something on the outside. We had no idea that we were being animated from without until this moment in time. As you begin to awake, you too taste of the power of the age to come. And tomorrow you'll know that 15th verse of the 4th chapter of Ecclesiastes. I saw all the living that move about under the sun, and the second youth who will stand in his place in control. Then I saw no end to the people, and he was all over them. Yet those who will come after will not rejoice in him, because they won't believe it. They will not for one moment believe that we are all being animated from without. And yeah, while we're animated, we can choose and select if we know of these states. Without seeing the state, you can still choose. You can choose the state of health, the state of wealth, the state of fame, the state of anything. 
and that state is personified in you when you see it. You can choose the state of poverty. So when Blake saw the block, he said to himself, Now you know why I do not consider either the just or the wicked to be in a supreme state, but to be states of the sleep which the soul may fall into in its deadly dreams of good and evil. So you have a deadly dream of being taken advantage of. You're right in a state. Someone doesn't like you, you're in another state. Someone likes you, you're in another state. And all of these are states and they're personified on the inside. If your eye would only open, you would see it. But until the eye is open, you don't even know they are states and they're all hidden within you. So he has hidden eternity into the mind of man. But the day will come, that second youth, the second youth is Jesus Christ. David is collective humanity. Out of it comes Jesus Christ and knows that he came out of man. But man is his offspring, man is his father. And man is forced by the personification called David to call him father. And he knows now that he is the Lord, yet no way of knowing he was the Lord until David appeared and called him Lord. For David is God's beloved. This is my son, today I have begotten thee, Psalm 2-7. That's humanity. He is in love with humanity, and all the gods are buried in humanity. God became man that man may become God. Not the reverse. Man didn't become God that God may become man. God became man that man may become God. He is pulling himself out of humanity, but individually when he pulls himself out, he pulls himself out of humanity and humanity is personified as David. So David appears before him, <clears throat> right out of his skull. It explodes like a real explosion and he stands right before you and calls you Adonai calls you my father, and only then do you know who you really are. Everyone is going to have this experience for the very simple reason God planned it as it would come out and as it would be consummated. For the very simple reason you can't earn it. No man can earn it. That's why we have today among our theologians the argument. Surely man <clears throat> can do something to earn it. You can't earn it. It was God's predetermined plan to actually sink himself in death. The mystery of life through death. Unless the seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. If it falls into the ground and dies, it brings forth much. And so God entered death's door, the human skull, and laid down in the grave of man and shared with man from within all of his visions of eternity, all of his nightmares until the time is fulfilled. It must be fulfilled like a pregnancy. The child is conceived, but there must be an interval to fill time. And when that time is fulfilled, out will come Christ Jesus, for Christ in man is the hope of glory. Were he not in man, he could not emerge from man, and he has to emerge from David. So the Bible begins in the New Testament, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, because that is prophecy. He comes out of humanity, but because humanity is, this, is the beloved son of God, it can't be the father of God. So comes the reversal and David automatically makes this statement, my father. And so out of man comes God. And no, ye are gods. Then bring my beloved son before me and let me call him son. And let him call me father.
and it actually happens like that. So I hope you know what God placed in the mind of man. Buried in you is really eternally or eternity, but put in such a way that you cannot find out from the beginning to the end what God has done. Only in the end you will know. But God isn't taken by surprise. To God, all events are present, including the end of all things, as told us in 1 Peter. The end of all things is before him now. He sees you as Christ Jesus. He isn't waiting for it. He knows the end. But you are immersed in the body of death for that purpose. So he sees not only all things coexisting, he sees the end of all things. And the end of all is Christ Jesus. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last, Revelations 1, 17 and 21, 6. So here Paul tells us, and Peter tells us, in fact, they all, if you read the epistles, set your hope fully on the grace that is coming to you at the re revelation of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1, 13. Revelation to Paul meant the unveiling of God, an act of God and self-revealing. He unveils himself in you as you. He set up a series of events, mystical events, by which he unveils himself in you. So I cannot conceive of any hope that man should dwell upon more than that moment in time when the time is fulfilled. And Jesus Christ unveils himself within you, because Koheleth said, I make money, I amassed more money than anyone in the world. I was the wisest of all men, and yet my end was like the poor man. My end, the wise man, was like the fools, and all these things were vanity of vanities. All is vanity. He knew tomorrow someone would come and build up much from the same block of time buried in the mind of man. So tonight, if you believe me that everything is within you, you can single out the state of success. Well, how would you be successful? You wear it as you would this suit of clothes. Put it on and feel natural in the mood of being successful. Just put it on. Just as God wears man, you wear the state. And you can put it on. So you sing a lot anything you want in this world. And dare to assume that you are already that which you desire. To be until the desire has been appeased. You don't long anymore. You feel it. You feel natural. Now the time will fulfill itself in that too. All things take time. Time is a facility for change and experience. Space is a facility for experience. But a change in experience takes time, so all changes take time. So you are a change of mood, and it's going to take its time. It may take a day, it may take a week, it may take a month. But that mood I now call, in Habakkuk, the vision. You visualize yourself by seeing yourself reflected in the faces of friends. They see you as a man you want, as the man you want them to see. That vision has its own appointed hour. It ripens, it will flower. If to you it seems long, wait for it is sure and it will not be late. Not for its own appointed hour. Verse 2-3 And so the feeling of success has its appointed hour. For you change not from being successful into that which is successful. All right, that shows you that time is a facility for changes in experience. But that now has its own appointed little hour. Don't try to aid it. It's like a pregnancy. You don't aid pregnancy after you discover that you are pregnant. In other words, one thing bear in mind, in spite of all 
the good men in the world who try to convince you that you've got to do something about it. All you do is make your selection and wear it. You were born physically by the action of powers not your own. You will be born spiritually by the action of powers beyond your own. You didn't have a thing to do with your physical birth, and you aren't going to have anything to do with your spiritual birth when the time is fulfilled. Because God in you has impregnated you, he is one with you, and that pregnancy is taking place. But the prophets didn't know it, and they were confused. So this is what they said. In the last days, scoffers will come scoffing, and they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of time, Second Peter 3.3. 3. They didn't know how near they were to the fullness of time, and so they will say, Where is the coming? They are looking for a man to come on the outside. No man comes on the outside. Resurrection is an event happening in this earthly experience of man, the individual. It's right here. So when he comes, he comes in the individual. He doesn't come out of the clouds trying to conquer the world. He comes in the individual. And the drama, as I have described it, is true, just as I have told you. And it's all related to things told in the Bible. It's a true story, and the day will come. You will be called to testify to the truth of God's word. That's all that you are going to testify to. Is it true? You will have the experience. You will go into the world and testify to the truth of his word. It's all true. So this that is buried in you sets you free, really even though it turns to ash. The greatest success in the world turns to ash because he has to leave it into the hands of one who didn't earn it. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Why not select the best, even though you're going to leave it anyway? I know that I must leave behind me the library. But I'm enjoying it while I'm here. And I hope I can name the ones that I would think would enjoy it the most when I turn my eyes from the sphere and let them have the library. That it cost me a fortune. And it's a lovely hand-picked library, yes. I know that. But someone tomorrow will enjoy the library and any stocks and bonds that I may have. I have a daughter, a son, and a wife, so they will get them. I don't regret that. And so, what does it matter if you have to leave your toil and the amassed fortune to someone else who didn't toil for it? But he, Ecclesiastes, regretted that because he couldn't see the end. He saw only recurrence. This whole thing is going over and over and over. And when is it going to come to an end? Let it come to an end, even though there is no real determined end. But there was an end, hidden, and he didn't see it. He knew by the words that he had received that he had put Olam in man's mind. He knew that, and Olam meant something hidden. Something hidden away, out of sight, something failed, a youth. Well, what would a youth do in my mind? He didn't know that David was the collective humanity. He didn't know David would one day explode out of his imagination and stand before him and call him father. No one knew it until it first happened, and so we are told he is the first witness, the first who came from the dead, Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead and came out of humanity, who may I tell you is dead. Someday you'll see it and you'll stop them. You'll walk the street and you'll be able to arrest anything in motion and you'll know the words. He was all over them. I saw all living, 
that move about under the sun, and then I saw that second youth who came to stand in his place, and he is all over them. So then that second youth is born in you because you are the father of collective humanity. That's the second youth. For the choice of God is always the second. First of all, you had Cain. He rejected Cain and took Abel. Then you came down and you had Isaac. He was the second. Ishmael was the first. He rejects Ishmael, took Isaac. Then you had Esau and Jacob. He rejected Esau, took Jacob. Manasseh and Ephraim rejected Manasseh, took Ephraim. And all the way down, there's a reversal of order. So here comes humanity, out of which Christ Jesus comes. And humanity is his father because he came out of him. For the words are, I will raise up your son after you, who will come forth from your body. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, Second Samuel 7.12. That's humanity, David. When the son comes out, David calls him father. So who did God bring out? He brought out himself so the son could then say, I and my father are one, John 10.30. He brings himself out of humanity, and he does it individually. So you bear in mind, think of David as humanity. God is in love with humanity, and so in love with it, he went in, he went in unto humanity and buried himself laid himself down in humanity in all the unnumbered Elohim. Then he comes out of humanity, bearing the fruit of that long sleep of death. And now he returns to eternal life, expanded beyond that which he was when he emptied himself and buried himself in humanity. So tonight you single out a dream, a noble dream for yourself or a friend, and trust it. Assume that your friend is telling you that he is or she is what they want to be, something that is lovely. Just assume it and feel natural in that assumption and see how it works, because that block is completely interwoven and related. When you see it, it's completely interwoven, all things by law divine in one another's being mingled. But here they are completely congealed and you gather them one by one. Blake called this the House of Lowe's because he fragmented it. He saw them all in lovely objective forms like statues. You can too. The other day, my wife said in a vision of her, she saw panels at the back of the room. She didn't count them, but there were many, many panels, and she as glued to just observing the panels. As she became lost in observation, just the panels formed attached themselves from the panels, and they came out into the room. Everyone gave forth a form. At first, it seemed to be a delightful thing, a very happy occurrence, something wonderful. The more it moved into the dancing form, the more it began to dance, the more she realized this is horror. This is sheer hell. And then for a moment, maybe she panicked for a moment, and then they all went right back into the panels, and they were, and they were, there they remained. You know what the word panel is in Hebrew? The same word as that, which we translate rib. And he took a rib and made something out of it. The word rib, Zella, is panel. And so he draws out of a rib, or draws out a rib, and it becomes a living form. But it went back in when she lost control of her imagination. She completely forgot how these things came out of sheer dead panels and became alive. 
Then she panicked and they all went right back and assumed their previous patterns of that panel. And the day will come you'll do it until that moment in time when you leave this age and leave it forever because it has accomplished its purpose. You wore it, you went through hell with it, and you came out of it expanded in consciousness. For God is truth and truth is an ever-increasing illumination. There's no limit to expansion, there's only a limit to contraction. There's no limit to translucency. There's only a limit to opacity. So when you come out of this opaque state, you'll be more luminous than you were when you entered it, and more expanded than you were when you entered it. And then tomorrow we together, as one being, yet without loss of identity, we will map the fifth act for a still greater luminosity and expansion of being. Now let us go into the silence. All right, so there we have Neville Goddard's lecture from 1964, titled, He Has Put Eternity Into the Mind of Man. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Uh, I hope everyone has an absolutely wonderful day, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye now.